0: Oh, hello, hi, welcome. The name of the show is Politics. Although, I call it Politrix, and the title of this episode is Killers of the Flower Moon. My name is Presh, and uh, I mistakenly keep calling it Flowers of the Killer Moon. Like, uh, you know, our moon isn't the only moon, right? Like, Mars has two moons, Jupiter has, like... 60 something and so on right so one of those moons is a serial killer and I'm imagining this moon as a a woman moon right then there's a guy moon that thinks that the killer moon is cute right and the guy moon buys flowers to give to her like you know when he asks her out on a date right that's the plot that's the (laughs) the plot I'm imagining for flowers of the killer moon but that's not the movie we're talking about today. And uh also I should mention the reason you're not hearing my co-host's voice is that he's unavailable to record and frankly it's my fault. He was only available on Monday and uh I was asleep when we were supposed to record, so that's on me. And uh although this is technically a Halloween episode, I'm sick and fucking tired of Spooktober, right? I'm instituting a ban on covering horror movies indefinitely. That being said, even though it's not a horror movie, Killers of the Flower Moon is kind of scarier than all the other movies we've covered in Spooktober. So, you know, maybe this works out. All right, so some cleanup from last week. I want to apologize for an extremely, extremely unprofessional episode last week, right? The sound quality was awful and I couldn't fix it in the edit. There was like a a full two minute portion that was just static and I couldn't salvage it at all, right? And within the episode itself I was just throwing a tantrum because I didn't want to do the none two, which, you know, again, that's why I'm banning horror movies and worst of all I didn't make my co host ask me a question and then I reply, Hey that's none your business you know because we covered the nun. anyway <laughs> the news of the week right so as the genocide of palestinians continues in gaza there have been no significant changes to the situation the idf continues to carpet bomb innocent people as the world watches on But a particularly horrific story I saw this week was that the IDF murdered the wife, son, daughter, and grandson of an Al Jazeera journalist named Y.L. El-Dadu, which I apologize if I pronounce that incorrectly. I've only seen it written down, so uh, yeah. Anyway, he's been an extremely vocal critic of Israel, right? And his family had been in the... Nusrat refugee camp which was in an area designated as a safe zone so yeah we mentioned this last week Israel was bombing places that they told civilians to go you know that won't be bombed and then they bombed that place so yeah I don't even know how it's possible to be this evil you know it's times like this I wish religion was real and the people responsible go to fucking hell but uh Anyway, let's just move on. Um, a few weeks ago, we covered a story from The New Yorker that painted Hassan Minhaj in a very poor light. Right. So last week, he released a video on his YouTube channel that explained his side of the story. Basically, everything alleged in the article is true, but it was presented without the appropriate context. And a truth devoid of context is indistinguishable from a lie. Right. It's to the extent that I honestly believe that he should sue them for defamation. All right? He didn't say this, but I've seen it alleged online that the article is possibly why he was passed over as a candidate to take over from Trevor Noah as the host of The Daily Show. So, yeah, that article was essentially a hit piece, right? I want to put my hands up and apologize for spreading that article, you know, on the podcast. I said this before but we shouldn't be covering stories about the personal lives of celebrities on the show right anyway now this next story is about the personal life of a celebrity in this case Martin Scorsese right he's on Letterboxd which uh it's kind of uh, it's promotion for the movie that we're covering today so it's not necessarily a news segment included in the news but uh I should have maybe put this with the movie, whatever the case is, right? If you don't know, Letterboxd is a website where you can catalog and rate the movies that you've seen, right? I don't use this. I use a website called tracked.tv because it also has TV shows, right? But anyway, here he released uh, a list of films that are companion pieces to, I don't know if it's companion pieces to this movie in particular or just his his career in general right but have you ever just felt completely out of your depth like you don't know what the fuck is going on right i'd like to think i've seen a lot of movies right but uh he made his list of 63 movies i'd only ever seen two of them right the day of the Jackal and on the waterfront and i'd heard of like maybe four or five others so roughly 55 supposedly classic movies that I'd never even heard of. So, yeah. Very humbling experience to realize you don't know fucking anything. Ah, Anyway, the next story. So this weekend, South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. So, you know, congratulations to the team. Um, I understood what was going on because I used to play rugby in high school, but unfortunately i don't really watch rugby so i don't know a lot of the players or how good they are right but uh you know i never played football in school but that's all i watch and i played rugby in school and i don't watch rugby at all it's uh it's just i'm much more dexterous with my hands right so uh you know i'm just better at catching instead of kicking the ball but uh Whatever, let's just... <laughs> congratulations to them again, and uh, let's move on to our final story, which, you know, I've been trying to make the final story uh, a comedic piece, right? And uh, so, Mike Pence has suspended his campaign for president, or, you know, American president, right? Actually, uh, it's his campaign for the Republican nomination for president, Right? And if you don't know who Mike Pence is, he was a member of the House of Representatives, he was the governor of Indiana, and he was Donald Trump's vice president, right? So, theoretically, he has the CV that, you know, that, uh, that would qualify him to become president, right? But... <laughs> If you recall a few months ago when he announced that he was running, I gave Mike Pence some free advice, which was drop out. And drop out as soon as possible, right? The reason for this being, if you recall, Donald Trump claimed that the 2020 election was stolen, right? And the event where they count the votes, that's presided over by the current vice president. So Trump told Pence to overturn the results in certain states. And when he didn't do it, trump denounced him and the mega crowd view him as a traitor so yeah this 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 presidential bird was dead in the water before it even began uh so yeah whichever consultants convinced him to run are fucking robbing him right i would do a far better job and for half the price you know mike please email me <laughs> i'm available right? so just a short news segment this week and the fact that uh i don't have a co-host it's like we can't chat about the news stories and be you know like uh if there's something that's not clear we can go into it if i'm just checking the time now we're at nine minutes so <laughs> at current rate i'm pretty sure i'll be done with this episode in like half an hour so sorry for the short episode. Well, people have telling me, uh, love telling me that they want short episodes, so I guess this is what you fucking sickos want, right? Anyway, <laughs> the context for the movie, right? I feel like everyone already knows who Mount Scorsese is, but if you don't know, he is one of the most critically lauded filmmakers in history, directing such classics as Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and Goodfellas, right? He's sometimes unfairly referred to as a gangster director. In fact, when I was telling my dad that I want to watch Killers of the Flower Moon and it was directed by Scorsese, he said, Oh, the gangster director. I was going to make this point anyway because I've seen people online say the same thing, but that was just too perfect, right? Scorsese has made 26 films and six of them are about gangsters. So... Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino, Gangs of New York, The Departed and the Irishman. You could argue that the plural plural fuck me. Plurality of his movies are gangster movies. Although I would argue that on a thematic level, I think the most common idea that keeps showing up in his work is religion. Right? That's the that's the if we had to put something if we're to label Scorsese as a ex-director, that ex would be religion, right? At least in my mind, you know, uh, maybe I, I, you know, maybe it's fine that people see him as a gangster director. I don't know why I'm trying to clear that up. Who cares what people see him as, right? But anyway, Scorsese has a number of frequent collaborators and he really got the gang back together for this one, Right. It's it's edited by Thelma Schoonmaker who has edited every Scorsese movie since Raging Bull. Um, There's this quote that I really love from her where someone was interviewing her and said, how does a little old lady like you edit such violent movies? And she replied, well, they're not violent when he gives them to me. (laughs) Which (laughs) It's a pretty funny quote, you know, the implication being She's the one who adds in all the violence. But uh, anyway, uh, it's also the 10th collaboration between Scorsese and Robert De Niro and his 6th collaboration with DiCaprio. It's also his 11th collaboration with Robbie Robertson, who was the composer of this movie and unfortunately died before the film's release. And the film is dedicated to his memory, right? The movie is based on a non-fiction book written by David Grant. And the book is actually about the creation of the fbi and the fbi agent played by jesse plebitts was the main character this is the character that leo was originally supposed to play but apparently leo told scorsese that it shouldn't be a story about the fbi coming in it should be told from within the community and the focus should be shifted to the quote-unquote love story between molly and ernest i'll expound on this later right so the movie is vastly different from the book. Although I've never read the book, so who the fuck knows? You know, maybe it's precisely the same as the book. I I I couldn't tell you. I've just heard that it's not the same as the book. So you know, if that's faulty information, it's not on me. Maybe I should have. <laughs> you know, I was just saying about Hassan Minaj, I I didn't fact check. I just passed that. Uh, article on as fact, and uh, now I'm here like uh, <laughs> oh I don't know the the book uh, I've just heard that it's different you know maybe I should have fact checked that but uh, anyway who cares the movie cost two hundred million to produce and as of time of writing it has made fifty million and I've seen some people possibly you know trolling they've labeled this movie a flop right the difference between this movie at say the flash which cost 250 billion and made like 50 million so very similar numbers is that this movie was produced for apple streaming services right it was a last minute decision to give it a theatrical release any revenue generated from cinemas is added icing on the cake right so I don't know how much they they spent on marketing, but it would be roughly hundred million. If they made fifty million in the first weekend, you usually times the first weekend by three, and that's what a movie ends up with. So if we take fifty million times it by three, it'll be a hundred and fifty million. And if marketing was a hundred million, they've made fifty million profit, right? Because <laughs> once again, this was meant for the streaming service. All right? But Scorsese, like Nolan, is a big believer in the theatrical experience. But unfortunately, unlike Nolan, the traditional studios aren't willing to fund his projects anymore. So streaming services, in the case of this movie, Apple, and for his previous movie, The Irishman, it was Netflix, are the only ones willing to give him the money to make these movies. And it's actually similar to David Fincher he made Mank with Netflix and the movie he has coming out this year The Killer is also with Netflix so Netflix are well not just Netflix the streaming services are funding a lot of the top tier directors that can't get budgets in the regular studios anymore so yeah anytime I criticize uh, streaming services keep that in mind as well but uh, yeah Uh, In both cases, they want to add prestige to their streaming service, right? This movie obviously won't do the streaming numbers of, say, a Marvel movie, but it looks poised to be nominated for and win multiple Oscars. Apple can then say, hey, we've got an Academy Award winning movie directed by Martin Scorsese exclusively on our service, right? It adds that extra prestige, and alright, let's get into my thoughts in the movie. Uh, alright, so this is the best movie watching experience I've had this year. I watched at the Eastgate IMAX, which is also where I watch Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Oppenheimer. Uh, unfortunately, Mission Impossible was kind of a letdown, and the theater was just way too full for Oppenheimer. Alright, well. In the Oppenheimer episode, I mentioned it was kind of like a good vibe that there was such a packed theater and, you know, we are all just enjoying this. But I need to pee a lot, right? So <laughs> the screening being packed was very kind of uncomfortable. I need to push past like 10 people on either side to go pee. So I didn't like that. In this movie, I was directly in the middle of and there was nobody to the left or right of me. Uh, If I needed to pee, I could have just, you know, walked out of there. And, uh, yeah, my usual order for a movie is one large popcorn and two bottles of water because this was an exceptionally long movie. I got two bags of popcorn and four bottles of water, which turned out to be a mistake because, frankly, it was too much popcorn. I felt bloated, but it was the correct amount of water. I need a lot of water because my mouth gets dry, right? Uh, Which, speaking of which. (laughs) Um, Surprisingly, I only went to the bathroom one time. And when I got to the toilets, it was a false alarm because no pee came out. So I didn't pee once during this movie, you know, makes you think. Anyway, the runtime has become a source of controversy with some theatres in Europe inserting an intermission into the movie. And personally, I think this is a violation. The director has crafted this movie to go at a certain pace and an intermission ruins their creative vision, right? If you need to go pee and you miss a minute or two, then that's life, right? That's not the filmmaker's problem. I sometimes pee four times during a movie. I would be one of the biggest beneficiaries of an intermission, and I'm still against it on, you know, artistic grounds, right? As for my thoughts on the runtime, I had a big problem with the movie being three hours and 40 minutes. It was far too short, right? (laughs) (laughs) I felt like the movie moved incredibly quickly. It started at a quarter past three, and the first time I checked my watch was a quarter past six, so Three hours of being totally engrossed. Except, obviously, for the false alarm P incident, you know. But, <laughs> anyway, I've also heard people claim that this movie is indulgent, right? They say you can chop out 20 to 30 minutes and it would be a far better movie. I disagree. Firstly, I think that every bit of the runtime is necessary. The only thing I... So I thought about it quite a lot, about like, what could we cut out that doesn't add to the story or, you know. And the only thing that came to mind is the subplot of King's neighbor. His name is Henry, who was Molly's first husband. You could kind of cut his story out and it wouldn't kind of change the story. But even that tells us more about King, right? The other Osage that he kills, you could argue he wasn't that close to them you know but that's why he has no qualms about murdering and profiting off them this guy his neighbor was an alleged friend for many years and he never thought about killing him he never thought twice about killing him as well which again shows how truly cold he is and uh, yeah i think this movie is a good illustration of why i don't like to watch trailers Based on that one trailer that ends with all the people creepily looking at the camera while DiCaprio's voiceover says, can you find the wolf in this picture? Made me think that this would be a mystery. I also heard that that this movie was about the creation of the FBI. So I thought the FBI would unravel the mystery and catch the serial killer. And then my theory was at the end of the movie it would be revealed that it's a a criminal conspiracy and everyone in that final shot of the trailer was in on it but the first time you see Robert de Niro he's so clearly sinister and you know has to be involved in the killing somehow and then when he tells DiCaprio to marry Molly explicitly for the mineral rights and he calls it, he calls it a good investment right that's when I realized all right this isn't a mystery it's a study about greed. And what it makes people do, uh, you know, to back this point up, uh, a few points in the movie, the Capro literally shouts out, "I love money." <laughs> Which, <laughs> if you think this movie is not about greed, you know, I, I'd suggest uh, looking at those things, <laughs> right? Um, the opening scene where we see the Osage discover oil and dance in the oil looked fun. But it also looked extremely dirty. It honestly looked like they were being sprayed by wet shit, right? Like fucking diarrhoea exploding from the ground. That's it had that, you know, shit look to it. Right. But anyway, I found this intro about the Osage being the wealthiest people per capita in the world extremely informative. I've never even heard about this before. Right. Also the music in the scene was excellent. Maybe it's a weird comparison, but it reminded me a lot of the opening theme song from the first season of The Wire. Then we see Henry, who again is Molly's first husband, constantly fucked up on alcohol and is suicidal. You know, uh, there's a scene where he says to uh, Hale, either give me moonshine or give me a gun because uh, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of being an Osage engine. And I think his wife is cheering on him. Uh, so, yeah, this this guy has a lot of, you know, issues, right? Uh, but anyway, this is the stereotypical stereotypical picture I have of a Native American, Henry, right? Which, again, I think adds to why he's important, right? A survey conducted from 2006 to 2010 showed that Native Americans are four times as likely to die from alcohol-related deaths than the general U.S. population. So I don't know what the cause of this is, but it's extremely upsetting. You know, If you or someone you know are abusing alcohol to deal with emotional problems, then please seek help, right? There's no shame in asking for help. Um... The opening sequence of all the uninvestigated Osage murders was extremely well done. It's presented as like a a black and white, old-timey news sequence, but it's also cut in with these color pictures of the dead bodies, which I thought was a very powerful sequence. Uh, We also find out that the osage well we never told why but they're all declared incompetent and have to ask permission to spend their money from white people which is unbelievably infant infantilizing you know uh, these people are adults uh, i assume that this is just because of racism but again they never tell us they don't explain this so yeah and then we have the first meeting of molly and leo right? I've heard people constantly refer to this as a love story, but I don't feel like this was love at all, right? DiCaprio was plotting to murder her family, poison her, and steal her, her wealth this whole time. Maybe he feels affection for her, but that's not love, right? You wouldn't do what happens in this movie to someone you love. But let's work under the assumption that this is supposed to be a love story even then i don't like feel that chemistry between them at all right he isn't particularly charming or funny to me he just seems like an arrogant idiot and you could say well even though he's not that charming he still has the you know hollywood good looks of leonardo dicaprio which and i might upset a few people here but Maybe it's just me. I don't find DiCaprio to be that good-looking, you know. And there's guys out there that are so homophobic that they can't even admit a man is attractive in case, like, someone else calls them gay. But that's not me. I can and do acknowledge when there's an attractive man, but DiCaprio just doesn't do it for me. I understand that for people, like, roughly eight years older than me, they were... At an impressionable age when Titanic came out And they're still infatuated with the baby face Leo, you know So at least they have an excuse But if the first movie you saw DiCaprio and came in after The Departed Then you have no excuse But that's just in general, right? Particularly in this movie, he has some fucked up looking teeth And teeth are a big thing in terms of attractiveness for me, right? When I was a boy, a dentist told me, Presh, you have perfect teeth. And then an entirely separate dentist in an entirely separate province told me, Presh, you could be a tooth model. Sadly, my mother never believed in me. So, you know, who knows where I could be if I'd become a tooth model. I could have been a contender instead of a bum, which, let's face it, that's what I am. Anyway, to summarize, <laughs> I find well-taken care of teeth to be attractive, and sorry for body-shaming DiCaprio, I was just trying to make the point that I don't buy the romance at the center of this movie, right? I did really enjoy the visualization of the things happening to Molly's mother. So first of all, she sees the owl of death. That, uh, it's actually something I came across in Adventure Time, right? Uh, the owl of like, the owl appears when you're nearing your death. And so it, it's not necessarily when you die. It's just you're nearing your death. Because later we see Molly, uh, you know, the owl shows up when DiCaprio walks in with the incident. But Molly is saved, right? So she was nearing her death, but it was prevented. So, yeah, the owl is not necessarily a death sentence. But, uh, again, I just thought it was a very arresting visual. And similarly, uh, when she does die, it's like her ancestors in traditional dress come and, like, take her and just walk away, right? And then we cut to her her real body and her family grieving next to her, which, again, I thought there was a very good visual that... Uh, you know it's it's like a fantastical thing in this very grounded bleak movie you know and uh, there's a scene where molly tells her sister you're my wealth you know that which i think well they obviously focusing on the the mineral you know stealing the mineral rights the the is it oil? Yeah, the oil rights, right? Uh, but personally, and I think maybe to Molly, the far bigger crime is murdering a family, because you know you can get more money, but you can't bring your family back. So yeah, I think her saying you're my wealth, you know, that to her sister is supposed to give us this idea. Anyway when her sister dies that's the first time we see the creepy head turning you know to the camera we see this much later in the movie as well but i find it very unsettling it's <laughs> to just be walking people start staring at you is uh, one of the most horrific things i can think of right um the next thing is there's an osage meeting which uh, i'm gonna well they have another meeting later on and i kind of wanna combine these two things to make a point i think that the osage looked like a bunch of losers and because this is the thing they keep saying stuff like we are warriors and uh you know if you find the guy we'll kill him. we'll kill them ourselves They never thought to, like, investigate themselves to, you know, get together and try to get to the bottom of this, you know. Molly hires a private investigator, but that's... (laughs) Why, Why do you need a private investigator when you have a crew of Osage people who, you know, are upset about these murders and should do something about it? Now obviously I understand this uh, this is a true thing that happened so it has to be portrayed as what happened but the Osage constantly talking about how they they're warriors but then they don't actually do anything it just seems like they all talk and no action so yeah although these, these meetings of the Osage people was it was you know pretty great to watch but the like I said the they seem to be more talk than action. That's the the idea that I got, right? Two things that I can't precisely explain that I just wanted to maybe throw out there and a listener can maybe give me some clarity for this, but I don't understand why... It's important that... Uh... Hale is a mason. Because he goes and he... Uh, when he's paddling... De Capro's ass, right? There's a lot of masonic... Imagery. I think... the Cap- Hale specifically says... Hey, I'm a... Something degree mason. And... I don't see how that affects the plot. You know... Uh, if you have an idea, please, you know, send a message, email. Um, the other thing that I can't ex- exactly explain is a very cool one-take shot where we see the KKK doing a parade. And, I th- well, kind of one of the, the themes of this movie is white supremacy. So the fact that the KKK can walk around in broad daylight, you know, and they're not seen as like massive pieces of shit goes to, you know, it adds to that idea of white supremacy in this era, but it doesn't really add. You you know, there's other things that show white supremacy. Speaking of which, um, De Niro, uh, Hale, sorry, is at the movies, and he's watching the, like, a new segment about the Tulsa race riots. And I've seen people, like, not, in the same way I'm kind of perplexed by the Mason Lodge, I've seen people perplexed about the Tulsa race riots and why it was included in this movie. So once again, thematically, it shows the White supremacy is widespread. It's not just this little town where the uh, natives were being murdered by white people. It's uh, like a countrywide thing, right? But not just thematically within the story. That seeing that footage is what gives Hale the idea to blow up the house later in the movie, right? In fact, when the house blows up, some lady shouts. It's just like Tulsa, <laughs> you know. In case you you couldn't put it together, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, when the house is blown up, there's some very fucked up visuals. You know, they they lift somebody somebody up, and their brain falls out the back of their head, and then you see the overhead shot, and the house is literally flattened. Everything is fucked and even well i don't know what his name is but that other white guy was like you're pronouncing yourself too much bill which uh, you know it's more like you've just gone too far which yeah it's 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 way over the top you know like if they they murdered members of the family like one every year or one every two years in 10 years they would have all the money but they were just so brazen with the murders that of course they were going to get caught right but uh yeah um now this the adding poison to the insulin molly sees the owl when DiCaprio walks in the room with the poison insulin right this shows me that it's not love the capra wouldn't have gone along with it if he actually loved molly you know spiking her well he knows that she needs the insulin spiking that insulin with something else that he doesn't know about is it's again if you if you love somebody you wouldn't do that to them. anyway the next thing is the fbi comes to town and uh, I won't go through the scene by scene, but the investigation is unbelievably simple, right? The local police, which uh well Bill Hale isn't the police, he's a reserve police, right, but the local police and the state of Oklahoma just don't care about killing the killing of the Osage right. When someone is actually motivated to solve it and has the manpower and basic competence, of course Halen and DiCaprio got caught. But even then, the FBI did not care about the Osage. They don't really communicate this well in the movie, but this is the FBI's first big investigation. They put a lot of effort into it because they wanted to showcase that the FBI was effective and justify their existence. Right? Um, I think... DeCap they go and see DiCaprio and he's just like I've never heard of the FBI. You know, that doesn't tell you it's their first case, you know, because DiCaprio was away for the war and also he's kind of an idiot. He does I don't think he would be following current events, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, then the courtroom scene where we see John Lithgow which, oh, I just assumed he was dead. Um, There's two guys I'm constantly shocked, you know, when I realize that they're not dead. Um, Lithgow is one because he, he looked really old on Third Rock from the Sun, and I just assumed that he was, like, in his 70s. So in modern day, he'd be, like, in his late 90s possibly another reason I thought he was dead was because he died in Planet of the Apes and I... (laughs) I confused that with real life, right? The other guy is Christopher Lloyd. He looked like he was in his early 70s or late 60s in Back to the Future. So he's another guy who would be nearing 100. But anyway, (laughs) the point being, it's good to know that Lithgow is still alive and he's getting work, right? Uh, The other lawyer was played by Brendan Fraser, and I was told that he has this garish, over-the-top introduction in this movie, and I was expecting something upsetting, but I absolutely loved his appearance in this movie, right? Similarly, in the next scene, which was the last scene of the trailer, where everyone creepily looks at the camera one by one, he shouts, ''Your uncle is trying to save you, you dumb boy!'' which (laughs) I'm definitely going to use, you dumb boy, a lot, you know, especially for my brother. But yeah, the scene also confirms that most of the town knew precisely what was going on, even though they weren't directly involved with the crime. So my theory of everyone being involved was wrong, but the idea that everyone knew about it was correct. And yeah, yeah. And that's why I say this is about white supremacy and not just these particular murders because everybody knew about it and they didn't do anything because they just don't care about the Osage. You know, they don't view them as people. So if they die, then who gives a fuck, you know? And uh, in the end, Hale and DiCaprio essentially get away with it, right? They go to prison for a short period and... Then they're released Uh, Hale, I think they say He lives Until 87 And he dies in a nursing home Which uh, That's too good for him, right He was right, people just forget About it and things just move on It's an extremely bleak ending Right, the villains won It's uh, You know It's an indictment of human nature If this is human nature that people just when something horrific happens everyone just moves on. And uh yeah, that's what's scary about this, you know. I was saying this is the scariest movie we've covered, yeah. In in Spooktober. So yeah. Um the second to last scene I didn't understand. I've tried to make sense of it, but uh I've had to read online <laughs> for for other people's interpretations right where it cuts to like a 1950s style radio show dramatizing the story we just watched and apparently this is a commentary on true true crime podcasts and tv shows that focuses on killers so first of all they pay too much attention to the crime itself and completely ignore the victims and the family of the victims And secondly, when the story is presented to the masses, it is sanitized and rewritten by those in power. Scorsese is saying that this movie is the opposite of this because it pays attention to Molly and doesn't sanitize any of the violence at all. You know, and he's the one that's delivering it, that, that, you know, how Molly's life turned out, you know, because he's the director. And he's made a few cameos in a lot of his movies. Um this week's uh, commentary is on Taxi Driver and he makes a very, let's say, memorable cameo in Taxi Driver (laughs) as uh, I believe this one will also be a very memorable cameo. It's, um, yeah, it's him saying this movie is doing things the right way as opposed to those true crime podcasts and TV shows, right? Um, then the final scene of the movie is a celebration of the Osage Which is a, a nice capital to a deeply bleak movie You know, you need that little thing to make you smile at the end Instead of <laughs> being so upset when you go home, right? Um, a couple of lines I loved was uh, When the doctors come to give Molly the insulin uh, DiCaprio shouts fuck a duck <laughs> then um, when Jesse Plemons comes to question Molly he says I came to see about the murders and DiCaprio says uh, what about the murders and Plemons says uh, who's doing them <laughs> another scene that gave me a big laugh um, um one of the hired hands that uh you know, Hale made Yusuf said, so my dead wife has two kids, and they have my name. If I adopted them proper, and these kids were to die, would I inherit their estates? And the lawyer responds, You do realize that this indicates to me that you're planning on adopting and killing these children. <laughs> and he replies, No, not if it's illegal, and I won't get the money. Then I won't do it. <laughs> Uh, I think that was my biggest uh, Laugh in the movie Right Um, Then that other Another one of the hired hands says He won't testify if Bill Hill Gets him out of jail And an FBI agent says How did that go for you And he says Shoot I'm still sitting here Ain't I (laughs) It didn't work out too well Which Another Another big chuckle Right Um. I also wanted to mention that the acting in this movie is great. You know, Leo is good, but he's kind of a little below his usual level. Lily Gladstone, who's Molly, has a a very stoic face, but she communicates so much and so much emotion through her eyes, right? She's very good at eye acting, if that makes sense. But the, the standout for me was Robert De Niro. He is phenomenal, and I've heard a lot of people, you know, my age, say that we grew up in the comedy era of De Niro. So, he made movies like Meet the Parents, uh, Analyze That, um, Dirty Grandpa, I'm trying to remember, (laughs) um, What's the movie where he's like a, he's like an assistant to Anne Hathaway? Whatever. The point being, when he was you know pre two thousands, he was in serious movies. He was in The Godfather. He was in Taxi Driver. He was in you know gritty, uh, meaty uh, acting roles. So people of my generation only view him or only know him as comedy De Niro. And this performance is the first, like, pre-2000s type quality performance. And I totally agree. This is his best performance since the year 2000. At least since 2000, I would say. Maybe since Heat, but (laughs) whatever, right? This movie... Unfortunately, I think Oppenheimer is the better movie. Oh, I should say, these this movie is a 10 out of 10 for me. Uh, wonderful movie, right? But like I said, unfortunately, I think it's my number two movie of the year, currently behind Oppenheimer. I have no idea who would win Best Supporting Actor, because it's a very tough shootout between Robert De Niro and robert downey jr you know people have said just write robert d on the trophy <laughs> and then fill in the aniro or only jr when you know we find out who wins because yeah they're so good um you know both of them have like a a story because unfortunately it's not just about the performance it's uh the Oscar audience also thinks about the story of it right and De Niro uh when was his last I think his last acting nomination was Cape Fear in the 90s so you know one of the greatest we've ever had at this ripe old age of I don't know I think he's 85 but he you know (laughs) pulls one out of the bag and you know, throws back the years and wins another Oscar. Alternatively, you know, Downey Jr. has been <sighs> trapped by the Marvel machine for so many years. And this was his first, you know, role to break free from them. And he's working with an actually great director. And, you know, instead of sorry in Kitty's movies, the first adult movie he starred in, he wins a an oscar it would be you know both of them are very compelling stories but at current moment i see de niro winning it because you know he's so clearly the the standout of this movie and from oppenheimer i saw people say um actually i think it's matt damon who deserves a a best supporting nomination oh actually i think it's uh david crum who deserves a best supporting actor so yeah i hope downey wins but i think de niro will win and uh yeah that's where i'm at oh uh, the music i think the music in this movie is some of the best i think this will probably win best music at the oscars um and yeah that's where i'm at on this movie so i think we can move on to our recommendations now so following the well carry on with the black check series on david fincher i watched the curious case of benjamin button last week which i bumped up to a nine i formally had it as an eight and uh i don't know why i didn't give it the credit it deserves it's uh you know, it's only one point, but I didn't get how powerful and profound this movie actually is. There's, you know, a handful of things that are a bit weird. It takes place during Hurricane Katrina, and the end of the movie is about, uh, you know, the flood, and the flood takes away this clock, and... That's all kind of dumb bullshit, but the core story, I think, is outstanding, and, uh, yeah, loved it. I loved it a lot more than... I've only watched it one time before this, so, yeah, loved it a lot. Then we have Falling Down, which I gave an 8. It's, uh, you know, last week I said I've been watching a bunch of Michael Douglas movies, and this is a michael douglas movie but it's a far different role than you know all the ones i mentioned like disclosure basic instinct uh, fatal attraction what's the other one whatever right but oh the game but yeah falling down is about like white victimization where they feel like Uh, immigrants are ruining the country the country in this case being america and i think th- this guy doesn't realize what a what a villain he is in his mind he's like uh, he's the hero you know how could he be doing something wrong but uh, yeah i think it's a good movie directed by Joel Schumacher i think uh, he made the Batman movie, so yeah, I liked it a lot. Although the subject matter is very upsetting, so if you're easily upset, I wouldn't watch this. And then, Bill um, Burr released a a comedy movie that he directed called Old Dad, which I gave a six. It's very episodic. I felt like this was supposed to be a a mini series or not even a mini series like a just a series <laughs> and they kind of like chopped portions of it and made one movie instead of 8 episodes and uh i yeah i just got a very episodic feel from it uh there wasn't really a lot of jokes it's kind of like it's supposed to be this kind of takedown of uh, Hollywood culture, but I don't believe that people like this exist. You know, it's it's too much of a caricature. Like, I don't believe there's people who behave in the manner that they're being ridiculed for in this movie, right? But <laughs> anyway, it's... Uh, It's fine. If you enjoy Bilbo, you know, you may uh, enjoy it. Then I watched Brief Encounter, which, you know, during the course of this podcast, I've watched two movies. um, In the Mood for Love and Lost in Translation, which are mood pieces. It's about it's not necessarily about the plot. It's about two people connecting and it's about the characters. It's about the interactions between them and brief encounter is like a a proto lost in translation or in the mood for love where you know two married people they meet each other at like a, the train what is it like a cafe in the train station where they you know where they get coffee and stuff and they you know there's like a love story that goes on and uh Directed by David Lean, who made uh, Lawrence of Arabia and The Bridge of the River Kwai. You know, he's known for like epic storytelling. And this is just such a, a low-key, uh, like it's not a flashy movie. It's just tight dialogue with very well shot things you know it's not what I would expect from a David Lean movie but I was very pleasantly surprised I gave it a 10 then uh the next movie in the David Fincher miniseries The Social Network which I think I've badmouthed The Social Network quite a bit on this podcast right it uh when I when I watched Steve Jobs I said I like Steve Jobs a lot more than The Social Network because I believed Danny Boyle's directing style complemented Aaron Sorkin's script a lot more than Fincher's. Um, What else did I say? Uh, Yeah, I've just said a lot of, like, negative things about it. Uh, One of my friends, he has The Social Network as the best movie of the 2010s. And, uh, I don't have it that high, but I do have it as a 10, right? It's kind of like (laughs) an undeniable movie, you know? I watched this movie trying to be like, all right, I don't... I kind of have an agenda against this movie, and I watched it, and it's like, oh, this is a perfect fucking movie. Well, it's kind of dated in some parts. Obviously, it was made 13 years ago, but well it came out 13 years ago so it's probably made 14 years ago but yeah too much has changed that it couldn't predict but if I look at it in the context of 2010 perfect movie maybe potentially the best of the decade but not on my list Um, anyway moving on we have The Room which uh, if you're unaware it's a like a, a meme movie it's like uh, it's self-funded by this guy who potentially has gangster ties and it's a very very bad movie it's called one of the worst movies ever made and uh, yeah <laughs> people are mostly right um, the people who do watch this watch it like I said as a meme As a joke, um, they take the overacting and low production values as a, you know, a thing to laugh at instead of docking it points, you know. So I understand that it has a cult following and there's a lot of people who love this movie, but, and I also enjoyed it. (laughs) But if we're evaluating it as a movie, it's a four out of ten. But the enjoyment is like a six or a seven, you know. I Have a lot of fun with it. Then, the next movie is The Disaster Artist, which is a fictionalized uh, actually it's probably, it's not fictional, it's it's based on a non-fiction book about the making of the movie The Room. Right? Where James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau, who's the possibly gangster connected guy that that financed the film and uh, the Disaster Artist is way more it's a 9 out of 10, it's far more well crafted but there's too many like in jokes and like references to the room, so I watched both these movies before in like 2017 when the Disaster Artist came out But I watched The Disaster Artist first, and then The Room. uh, This week, I watched The Room first, and then The Disaster Artist. If you haven't seen The Room, The Disaster Artist makes no sense at all. So, uh, yeah. It's a 9 out of 10, but if it came with a little bit more context, it would probably be a 10 out of 10. And finally, I watched Five Nights at Freddy's, and... uh, Another extremely poor movie. (laughs) I just... The production is awful. The acting is awful. The story, awful. The dialogue, awful. Effects, awful. And constantly, like, uh, in shadows, so you can't really see the effect that they're trying to do or, you know, the thing that they're trying to visualize. But i kind of had fun with it (laughs) which (laughs) which uh you know you can use that to tell me i have bad taste in movies but we all had a bit of fun with it don't we anyway i gave it a five so ah, thank you for listening please remember to rate review subscribe give a like etc um importantly it needs to be a five star review um if you give me, like, a, a three-star review, I will invite myself to your house and then eat all your food. You'll just come to your fridge and be like, oh, where's all the stuff I bought? And you'll see me with, like, a, a comically large stomach walking out the <laughs> the front door. So, yeah, you you wouldn't want that to happen to you, would you? Anyway... Please subscribe on Patreon to listen to our movie commentaries. You can find all our links at pacip.com. That's P-A-I-C-I-P dot com. Please tell a friend. Tell that friend to tell a friend. And uh, tell a family member. And, uh, yeah. <coughs>